Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Two on OSU. It's a special episode about halfway through the Cowboys season, and I'm Sam Hutchins, joined, of course, by my brother, who happens to be my partner on the Oklahoma State Beat for Sellout crowd, Ben Hutchins. But before we jump into to what's so special about this episode, I'll, I'll bring up the special people that make it happen. We want to thank all of our sponsors who support the show, and you can support us by supporting MidFirst Bank, Laser Light Skin Clinic, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, Oklahoma Ford Dealers, and Fire Lake Casino. Remember, drive into your best in Oklahoma Ford Dealers today for the best deals on Ford's lineup of trucks and SUVs. Ford is the best in Oklahoma. Ben, the Cowboys looked like the best in Oklahoma last week. It helped that the Sooners were on by, but Cowboys picked up a decent win and were joined by another Sam, Sam Mays, who you might know him from his career playing for Oklahoma State or his media career, but now he's part of the sellout crowd. And Ben, tell the folks why today's an especially good day to have Sam on. Because offensive line seems to be a, a bit of a topic in Stillwater. And a quick look, uh, yeah, the, the, the two twins here haven't played much time in the offensive line. But luckily, between the three of us, we have a, we have a fair amount of offensive line experience. It's good to have you, Sam. Dude, thank you guys so much for joining me or having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, watching your guys' career over the last couple of years at Oklahoma State has been very, very cool. Uh, we got to meet for a little bit at the Camelback Inn during that Fiesta Bowl run the Cowboys were on not too long ago, which was great. And I'm excited that you're part of the sellout team. I think you guys add quite a bit to what we're doing here. I think your preparation is excellent. Your writing is great. I'm a big fan of both of you. And I'm looking forward to you guys getting comfortable in the seats that you're sitting in now. I know the uh, podcast world is a little bit different. I found it different a couple of years ago when I got into it, but I promise you it'll be like riding a bike here uh, towards the end of the season. So you guys are doing a great job, and I'm proud to work with you. I'm just bumping. You mean I don't scream left tackle? Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, you absolutely don't. <laughs> Maybe uh, the two of us together. If we were to stand side by side, we, we, might, we might make a, a small left tackle. I'm yeah. pretty sure I can floss with Sam and throw Ben like a javelin. So <laughs> you guys are you guys are quite a bit of ways from uh, being big offensive linemen. But yeah, let me tell you something. The game has changed a little bit on the offensive line. I think these guys today are it's more like power forwards than than anything. You know, we you go back and watch you know football football 20 years ago when I was on the field, and you see a bunch of big round bellies and you know pants sagging and. You know, guys just sweat through their clothing about five plays into the first quarter. And, you know, now these guys are fit, flat bellies. I mean, it's it's crazy what the body type of offensive line has become over the last 20 years. So you guys are closer today in 2023 than when you would have been back in 2000, that's for sure. So that all we got to do is, a little better. is wait, all we gotta do is wait, you know, uh, 30 more years for, for the positions to evolve further. And, and then we'll be, yeah. we'll be offensive linemen. That or, or either you guys have girlfriends or fiancés. What's going on in that department? You get one of those, and I promise you'll get fat. <laughs> We're still working that, on that. That or wait for uh, flag football to take over the Olympics. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm here for that. Now, Sam, I wanted to ask you this, um, because I know when you played, I'll fill the folks in who, who don't know, under Les Miles, you guys were running the ball a ton in that offense. And nowadays, it seems like Mike Gundy – has set his goal for the Cowboys to gain four, four and a half yards per rush. And in the past couple of games, the Cowboys have gone from a team not achieving that. The Cowboys were averaging 3.9 yards per rush in the first three games, and it just wasn't pretty. The Cowboys were struggling to rush the ball. 
But then against Kansas and Kansas State, in Oklahoma State's two biggest wins, they've gotten that average up. Ollie Gordon has big holes to run to, and the Cowboys are up over five yards a carry. So, Sam, are, are the Cowboys, how much better have they gotten in the past couple weeks in this department? And how much of an engine can it be for the Cowboys if they're, if they're supposed to keep this turnaround going? Well, five yards averaging in a game is a, is a tough feat. There's no question about it. So you got to give those t- kids a ton of credit for you know, what they've done in the last couple of weeks. You know, four yards is a goal for every college football team. Right, you run the ball four three times in a row, and you get four yards. Well, what's that number? It equals twelve, right? So that's a first down every time you do it uh, three times in a row. That is the goal for every college football team in the country to average four yards a carry. The difference is, you know, versus when I was playing and what they're doing now is when I was playing, if we ran seventy five snaps, that was a busy day for us, right? It was run the football and then take your time, meander your fat butt back to the huddle, stand there for about thirty seconds call the play, meander your fat butt back up to the line of scrimmage, and then you know run the play. It was just slow and steady. Our goal was to run 10, 12, 13 play drives, eat up eight minutes in the clock. No matter what the score was in the first quarter, we knew that most damage was going to come in the fourth because we were just leaning on you consistently over and over and over and over again. And it just was about the brutality of the sport. And it gave us enough time to kind of regroup and, and allow us to run the football with the same type of venom uh, in the fourth quarter as we did in the first quarter. Now, you know, even though Gundy, his best teams have been what? They run the football. It's 1,000-yard yeah. backs. It's Kendall Hunter. It's Joseph Randall. It's Keith Tostin. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on of great Oklahoma State backs in the last, you know, 10 years under Mike Gundy. And even though he's not doing it in what I would call a traditional way, running the football is what makes his offenses work, period. And he's found a way, I mean, outside of 2011, I would tell you the last 15 or 12 years of Oklahoma State football, they haven't had good offensive lines, right? Joe Wickline left and they kind of fell off in that department and they haven't really recovered from it since then. It's been injuries and one, I think a guy retired five, six, seven years ago uh, that was supposed to be a big time player for them up front. Like it's been a real issue for Gundy to keep those groups together, but he's found a way to do it successfully because of great formations and great play calling. He's found a way to do it. I think you're seeing some of that in the last couple of games. And what you're also seeing, and, you know, you and I, we, we kind of talked about this uh, in our team meeting a few weeks ago. Like, I, I called what the quarterback situ- was, situation was negligence because it was. And, and what happens when you do that is everybody on your offense suffers because you don't have one voice in the huddle. You're dealing with three different guys. So it's all different for the receivers. The cadence is different for all the offensive linemen. And it's hard to gain chemistry when that's happening. Well, now you give me Bowman in back-to-back games. The offensive line is firing off the football better. They're no longer setting screens. They're actually drive blocking. Their double teams have improved significantly. They're getting up to the second level, getting big blocks. That's the other thing. Ollie Gordon is a great back, and it would be a great back behind a bad offensive line. But if you get up to the second level with that dude back there and you make it difficult on the linebackers because you have an offensive lineman in their face, Ollie Gordon is going to eat for four quarters, and that's exactly what he's done over the last couple of weeks. So the improvement to me has been – by far, just seeing the energy coming off the line of scrimmage, securing the, the line of scrimmage, securing the down defensive lineman, and then getting up with a good base, power stick up, stepping up to the second level, and covering up linebackers. And you don't have to do it forever, right? You don't have to cover up a linebacker for a whole second or pancake block them. You just got to make it hard on them, get in their way, alter their path to the ball carrier, and then allow a great back like Ollie Gordon to go to work. It's been incredible to watch, but a lot of that is just 
time on field with the complete offense, one quarterback, and getting reps is what it comes down to. So, so Sam, I thought that same thing. And, and Mike Gundy, we asked him about it uh, in the press conference on Monday, and I'm going to read you a quote, and, and I want to know how much you're buying it, all right? So, so Gundy was asked about the offensive improvement uh, in, in conference play, and he said the best way to illustrate it is our offensive line has played considerably better in the last month. It has nothing to do with the running back or the quarterback. How much are you buying that the improvement's all on the offensive line? And not because of of Ollie Gordon and Alan Bowman becoming the consistent starters there. Oh, I think that that's insane that he would even say it. Um, I I think that if I had to give her, I think Ollie Gordon was Ollie Gordon in week one, right? I don't think Alan Bowman got on this path until, you know, he had a couple of games underneath his belt and got some meaningful game time. I think it took him a minute to get to this point. But Ollie Gordon would have been Ollie Gordon at, for sure if the offensive line would have showed up in the first, you know, four weeks of the season. They just didn't do it. So yeah, if I had to, you know, put a percentage on it, I would say it's eighty percent, you know, on the offensive line and twenty percent on the quarterback and and uh, and uh, running back. But, but you know, and and maybe even more seventy thirty. Maybe that's even a better deal. But yeah, man, I mean, I, I get what he's saying, but. He's, you've got to give a nod to your QB and to your star back. I mean, those kids have definitely put their their uh, foot down in the ground and really have done a great job over the last couple of weeks just being competitors, getting out there and putting the work in. So I'm not going to give it all up to the line of scrimmage, to the offensive line, but it has been a significant improvement. And absolutely, look, you can g- give me give me a good offensive line and an average running back, and I'll show you three and a half, four yards of carry. You, right? you mentioned me, I mean, it, Go ahead. You mentioned cadence, Sam. I'm curious, big deal, little deal, you know, against South Alabama, against Central Arkansas, against Arizona State, those O-linemen, they had to, they had to, you know, go on three separate cadences versus now, assuming being a little more comfortable with Bowman's cadence, big deal, little deal to have that millisecond of, of advantage kind of getting off the line, knowing a cadence. Is that something you paid attention to at all? It's a huge deal. It's a massive hmm. deal. Uh, to the point that I could beat at 330 pounds, I could beat my running backs in a five yard dash off the quarterback's cadence. And they would always be blown away by it. But it gave me just enough time, that split second reaction that they were not used to moving on. Backs aren't moving like offensive linemen are. Like I can hear Josh Fields right now in my head with his down set hut. And the way that he said set hut, I knew that I could move in the T and set. And that's when Ben Bowie would snap the ball. And so I've got two penalties in my entire career. One was a personal foul in the cotton bowl that I'll I admit was a personal foul. I did that. <laughs> but the other one was a false start. And I was furious because I knew it wasn't a false start. We went back and watched the film and it was not. I moved at the exact same time that the football did. Great offensive lines learn a cadence like it's their mother's voice. Right. You can recognize it anywhere. I mean, it is everything to you. It is the advantage that the offense brings to the table. This is why home field advantage for teams matters. Right. I'll give you an example. Uh, we're down in, um, we are down in College Station, probably my sophomore, junior year. I don't remember what year it was. We're in that, it's all bowled in now, but back then they had one end zone that had fans in it. And it was so loud that I had to hold the right tackle's hand right? And then look at the football 
because I could not hear the cadence at all. So what does that do now? Because it's so loud. Well, if I'm looking at the football to move, guess what the defense is doing? They're waiting for the football to move also. So it completely nullified any advantage that the offense had of getting that first step in, right? Defense is a reaction. Well, now it's almost, it was just the, we moved at the exact same time. That home field advantage to me is worth 14 points all day long. And I know Vegas doesn't say that, but in those moments, it shake, I shake my head when people tell me that home field doesn't matter as much as an offensive lineman. Your ability to hear the snap count is everything. To hear it clearly is everything. I mean, that's why quarterbacks are trying to silence you know, the fans when they're at home. Everybody's out there doing one of these things, and it's like because you need to hear everything that's being said. And I just, as an offensive lineman, knowing my quarterback's cadence was everything to me, and it gave us such an advantage, no question. Fascinating. And with one-third of the time, Gundy, that's one thing he told the media again and again. Hey, in the offseason, all these quarterbacks have gotten equal reps, one-third, one-third, one-third. So I assume that there's a difference hearing that cadence, you know, only 33% of the time, maybe it takes a little more getting used to. I'm blown away. I'm so – I don't know how you guys feel about it. I just can't get over the fact that this was a story as long as it was in Stillwater. One third, one third, one third. Like, what do those practices look like? Right. You're talking about, you know, doing what I don't know how many live snaps they do in a practice now, if any. But say we would run, we'd run 30 live snaps in an inside drill. So you're telling me you're getting 10 for each quarterback. I mean, it just, it just blows me away. And I just, I have no, there's no doubt in my mind why they look the way they did against South Alabama or Iowa State. And, you know, I, I, like I said, it just seemed, it seems negligent uh, to me. And if this team continues to grow and continues to get better, and let's say they don't lose a game till Bedlam, tell me you aren't going to be just a little pissed off looking back at Iowa State and South Alabama and wondering what the failure to launch was, right? Was it simple as I'm going to give my son the best opportunity to play? And so I'm going to drag this thing out and see if he gets his feet underneath them. That's got to be a narrative at this point, right? It has to be like, what, what made him that dude is I, Mike Gunny's a college football hall of famer, period. No one can really argue that what he's done in Oklahoma state 160 wins. Are you kidding me? This brand, what it is today versus what it was 20 years ago. He's done that. You can't tell me that he doesn't have enough football knowledge to know that the situation he put his football team in, in the beginning of the season hurt them. And which is why they lost those two games. It's so disappointing. I think what's interesting, Gundy's reasoning, at least his public reasoning, Sam, and we know that's not always the same thing, but I think it's interesting. You're taking a Hall of Fame coach and putting him in an environment with NIL and the transfer portal where no one's a Hall of Fame coach in the NFL world. It's in the NIL world. It's a new world entirely. So I guess Gundy's reasoning was, you got to give all these kids equal reps to worry about them transferring. You know, I don't know how worried you are about Gunner transferring about Garrett, but that was his reasoning. But if the Cowboys finish and, you know, maybe even just with one more loss or, or finish this season incredibly well, the transfer risk, regardless, it, it becomes not worth losing those two games at the start. I think you're exactly right. What do you, what do you think Gundy is, is, is doing with that? Like the constant talking about the transfer portal. Well, you got to do this. Or these kids might train. Like, do you think that? Does he think that his his narrative is going to change that, or do you probably need to just find a way to adapt? Right, the portal is not fun, but I tell you what, it does do. And this is coming from somebody who I had the dream college career, loved every second of it. Oklahoma State was a fantastic place to play football, and I wish in some capacity I could help them in recruiting because I would tell a story 
two families of one that was an incredible experience academically, football-wise, fam-wise, socially. I grew as a person in Stillwater, and I just I still want to call that place home. Like I love every second of it, for sure. I just I feel like the biggest issue for Mike Gundy with the transfer portal is now he's got to tend to his flock. Right, because it's easy for all American Sam Mays to say he had a great college football experience, but a lot of my teammates did not. Right. A lot of my teammates who didn't who weren't starters, who weren't guys that got playing time, who found themselves on scout teams, you know, for their career, who were forgotten by the coaches or treated like crap by the coaches, they didn't want to be there for that. But now you gotta tend to your flock. You've got to be nice to those kids. You've got to ask those kids how they're doing. You can't treat them like trash. You can't belittle them in practice, or they won't be there. And let me tell you something. One of the backbones of any good college football team is their scout team, right? You run off all your B-team players. Well, guess what? You don't have anybody there to help your team get better, to feel motivated to help your team get better. Those guys are the walk-ons, the guys who aren't starters. They're the ones getting us ready to play every single week. So the more, the better look they get and give, the better for the football team. Back then, those kids weren't treated well. And I'm happy for those guys more than anything that they can choose to go somewhere where they will be treated. So the biggest issue for Mike Gundy, in my opinion, once again, is just the fact that he's got to tend to his flock, the kids that are on campus. You can't just let them be there or forget about them. You have to make sure those kids are thriving at Oklahoma State University in some capacity, whether it's not, if it's not on the football field, that's fine, but you better hope that Johnny is having a good time academically or, or socially or whatever it might be. He's growing in some capacity or you won't keep those kids. And so I don't want to hear coaches complain about the transfer portal, especially coach like Mike Gundy, who's essentially held Oklahoma State hostage seven times in the last 15 years to go to places like Tennessee multiple times. And then he had the audacity to throw his name in for the Baylor job after the biggest sex scandal in collegiate athletics history. But our coach's name is thrown in for that one. You think Baylor did that? You think Baylor threw out Mike Gundy's name and said, oh, yeah, he's on, he is up for this job? They absolutely did not do that. That's Gundy telling his people, make sure my name is mentioned. And what happened after he did it? He got paid again. So as far as the loyalty conversation or these kids in the transfer portal, any of that garbage, Gunny can keep that to himself. This is today's game. Either you're going to adapt and succeed or you're not, and you won't be here. It is what it is. And Sam, one, one last thing on the transfer portal. I mean, Gundy wasn't just thinking about his flock on the team right now when he was giving everybody reps. I mean, from what he's told us, He's also thinking about the players who are going to be coming into Oklahoma State. He said, we, don't, we, don't, we want to set a, a precedent, a standard where if you transfer into o, to Oklahoma State, you're going to get a chance to play. Because if, 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 if OSU is not giving guys a chance to play, then what transfer from Washington State or Missouri or wherever is going to want to come to Oklahoma State? I think there's something to that, right? And I'll use an OU reference here. Dylan Gabriel has... Uh, exceeded all expectations, right? The kid's a Heisman candidate this year. We all can admit that. I argued that let's say he didn't rise to the occasion and Jackson Arnold was equal to. In a year without the portal, what's the play here? If you got two quarterbacks that are equal, one is a senior and one is a true freshman, who are you going to play? Younger guy. Absolutely. But you wondered if that was the case, if Venables would have done that 
because Oklahoma, a lot like Oklahoma State, is going to have to use the transfer portal successfully because they can't fill the roster in state, right? The portal is going to be a part of Oklahoma's success moving forward. But I was wondering if they found themselves in that position, if they would have had the ability to pull that trigger, because now all of a sudden Oklahoma, obviously they're going after a different level of transfer, but those kids in particular aren't going someplace where they feel like they're not, they're not going to get a chance. So I think there's something to be said about the quarterback position in particular, transfer-wise. If you get kids coming in like Bowman, like it worked out perfectly for Mike that Bowman ended up being the guy. Because if you're going to deal and transfer quarterbacks, they need to know for sure that they're going to get an opportunity to play, right? And so they all, all three of those guys got the opportunity. Bowman ended up rising to the top at the end of the deal. So it worked out for him there. But I think there's, there's probably something to that for sure. Sam, what does it do for an offensive line to see the running back behind you rip off 20-yard gains, 30-yard gains, rack up over 200 yards like Ollie Gordon does? What kind of juice would that provide? Would that have provided in the Kansas game? And can it provide in the future? Oh, yeah, there's nothing like it, right? There's nothing like it. Uh, there's a swagger to your offensive line when you start do having games like that. You know, we, we led the country at one point in rushing – uh, my sophomore, junior year, just decimating all the first three games of the season. Uh, and there's something we just, you know, we were one of the top 10 offensive lines in the in the in all of college football, and we acted that way. Uh, and you can just tell by the way that we broke the huddle and where the huddle was. It's always interesting because a lot of teams don't huddle up anymore. But you can typically tell the way an offensive line feels by how close their huddle is to the line of scrimmage, right? If your offensive line is playing well, they're huddling up three and a half yards from the line of scrimmage. Right, because they're getting up to the line of the ball, and there's an energy behind it, pop, pep in their step. If you're not playing well, all of a sudden that sucker drifts about eight yards from the line of scrimmage. <laughs> right, and it just, and I don't know why it is, but you could just tell. Right, when they're feeling it, they're up close, and there's a pep in their step as they get up there. When they're not feeling it, it is away from the ball, and these guys are dragging tail as they get up there. Um, but yeah, it's it's special. Those are your brothers, right? And those are your those you want to protect those guys. There's this. I don't know, this duty, this sense of duty from offensive linemen. Like if you're truly an offensive lineman at your core, it's, it's not just a position, it's a lifestyle, right? It's who you are as a person. It's who you are with your kids, who you are with your family, who you are with your wife, who you are. I mean, you're just that, that, that being a protector, that being uh, somebody who does the dirty work, who wants to see others succeed because of you, the job that you're doing. Like you just have to love it. I will always be an offensive lineman at heart. I will always work that way and be motivated by those things, seeing my teammates succeed. I love that stuff. Right. And, and so there, yeah, there's something special when you get to watch, you know, we had Tatum Bell ended up being the second round pick uh, his final year at Oklahoma state. And we, we helped him get there. You know, I took a lot of pride watching him uh, get drafted, at, you know, in that second round, like that was, a, that was a big uh, deal for us as an offensive line, you know, that we were able to help a running back uh, get to the league. Same thing with Ron Marinci, you know, it was awesome to see him go too. So it's pretty cool for sure. Like you, you get, you just love that stuff when you're alignment. That kind of reminds me of a boxer. You know, you mentioned the huddling X amount of yards from the offensive line. That to me sort of reminds me of the fighter who, the fighter that's winning the fight, he doesn't want that bell to ring. He's going to be right in the opponent's face. He might not even sit down in his chair in the corner. Right. He might not be with the cup man. So that's interesting to think that maybe the offensive lineman Huddle up right there. Say next snap, we're coming at you, dude. It's it's so much like a fight, you know. Like it is. I mean, that is a it's an orchestrated, uh, elegant 
fist fight. And, you know, when you're on the edges of the offensive line, there's a little more ballerina in those tackles for sure. But you want goons as guards, right? You want guys that are just mean, nasty. Back in the day, your offensive linemen were by far the meanest people on the team for sure. I mean, just physically just nasty monsters, right? Just guys that just embrace the physicality of the game, the pain of the game, dealing it out. And, you know, Tommy Harris – uh, play for Oklahoma was, I like to call him my arch nemesis, but Tommy will tell you that I couldn't play in today's college football. They would not, they, I would, I would be penalized constantly. <laughs> uh, kicked out of games for targeting. Like the, it just blows me away that offensive linemen can get tar- uh, called for targeting. I used to wear, I wore a shield on my face mask. One of the first linemen to do it, I'm sure back then. Well, the only reason I wore it is so linebackers couldn't see my eyes. And so when I'd get in my stance and those dudes would creep up and we called a counter and I knew that I was going to double team a three technique up to the middle linebacker, I purposely put my nose ring on his jawbone. Purposely. 100% trying to knock that dude out. That's what the game was. It was about viciousness across the board. Now, I've had a ton of concussions and, you know, CTE is a real conversation in my home and I've got no, uh, you know, my, my memory of high school is weird and Sometimes I remember things about it and sometimes I don't. And I'm sure that these kids today are in a much better place as far as their minds are concerned than I was. But, you know, the the brutality of the line of scrimmage, man, like I get goosebumps just thinking about it, right? Just thinking about it. Some of the things that were done in piles and, and things like that, eye gouges and fish hooks. And, you know, it was, it's just, it's about if you wore tape on your fingers, someone's going to try to break them. Like you wouldn't want to show injury to your hands in particular because someone was going to grab those fingers and try to break them, you know, while you're in the pile. Like it's just a nasty place to be. And so, um, yeah, I just, there's just something about it that was just a beautiful game down there. I loved every second of it. Jacqueline, our producer, is listening to this right now with her mouth wide open going, <laughs> this dude <laughs> is a lunatic. <laughs> that is a world, Sam, you've been in. That may as well be the titanic seeing the wreckage for some people that is a world few people can even imagine going into the the huddle of of a a big 12 football game that is a world few will ever see like the titanic or outer space that is just a cold world (laughs) that we can only imagine i think it'll be cool one day because i'm sure it'll happen in my lifetime that the nfl find a way to give us the ability to just kind of pick a player Right to put their helmet on essentially and play the, and watch the game through their vision through their eyes, and I promise you, the day that that's done, people will have an entirely different opinion of what offensive line play when they realize how fast and violent it is. Right, it is it's wild, and I'm just telling like the defenders today, uh, the athletes that you're seeing at defensive tackles and defensive ends, you're talking about pound for pound some of the best athletes in the world, the most explosive athletes in the world. Aaron Donald can do a full backflip. Like, that's a freak. That dude's literally like an alligator, just one big muscle from head to toe. It's wild uh, what some of these defensive linemen have done with their bodies over the years. But when it comes down to it, offensive linemen, it's just the overall fit, the, the fist fight of it, right? The brutality of it that we're using to disarm those better athletes because they are better athletes on the on the defensive side. You know, we're taking five steps as an offensive lineman to disarm a defensive lineman that's taken 15. Built up ahead of steam, taking 15 steps. Now we have one well-timed punch to knock him off balance or stop that charge so we can reset our feet 
and continue to block. It's crazy what's happening in that game. When we think of like the the Von Miller, Miles Garrett, Aaron Donald type athletic freaks on the defensive side of the ball. Why do you think it is, Sam, that maybe the athleticism hasn't caught up with the offensive lineman yet at, at the professional level? I think what I think that what we're seeing more than anything is every kid today grows up with a stat line, right? I think video games have done this to our kids. No one wants to play on the offensive line. So I want you to look at the numbers of the great defensive linemen in the college game in the NFL, and then look for the comps on the other side of the ball. And then ask yourself, I wonder how many of those guys 20 years ago would have been guards, right? Or would have been tackles. But because being an offensive lineman doesn't get you a stat, it's not sexy, right? You're not getting the girl as an offensive lineman. It's not a position that's flashy. Everybody wants to get sacked. That's why the defensive tackles position has changed so much, right? Casey Hampton, back for the Steelers back in the day, he played the position the right way. You know, a nose guard position was about keeping the money behind you clean. Right, keeping the money clean, keeping your linebackers clean, letting them be able to do the work. They're the ones getting the tackles. You're up there trying to keep the center and guards in the line of scrimmage. It wasn't about Aaron Darnold getting sacks, but that position, that defensive lineman position, interior in particular, has changed so much that people are they seek that right. They're going after and doing it. So I don't think that there's a drought in great offensive lineman athletes. I think there's a drought in elite athletes playing on the offensive line. Is what it is. I think they're choosing to be defensive linemen instead of offensive linemen. If you look at a lot of second team defensive linemen in the NFL, I'm looking at a bunch of dudes that could be pro bowlers on the offensive line, but they chose to play in the defensive side as kids, and that's where they stayed. You know, if I was an NFL coach today and I was looking at the draft in the sixth, seventh, and eighth round looking for projects. I would be down in the South looking at second team, third team defensive linemen and asking myself the question, could they learn it, right? Could they switch that? Could they learn how to play on the other side? Because now you get an elite athlete with all the size and the ability in the world, but you teach them how to be an offensive lineman. There's just not enough kids that are doing it. I mean, I've seen tight ends. I don't know if you guys remember this. It might be too before you, but uh, Baylor had a tight end that had played in the NBA, I'm pretty sure, for a minute. Um, that was just a freak. And every time I watch him take the field, I'm like, you're a $100 million left tackle, bro. $100 million left tackle is what you are, but you're choosing to go play tight end so you can catch the ball every once in a while? Like, it makes no sense to me. Yeah, so I don't think there's a drought in phys- overall physical growth from offensive linemen. I just think less people make the choice. Sam, the last question, kind of steering it toward Oklahoma State before we get into midseason awards, is a question about midseason the Cowboys have been banged up on the offensive line, and we've seen, we've talked about the cohesiveness and the, the advantage of it and why the Cowboys are improving. But how, how are offensive linemen feeling six weeks in? Because I know what we're seeing isn't even everything that, that's being talked about, and you know there's no injury reports in college football, but everyone has stuff on the offensive line. That's not appearing on the injury report. How are the Cowboys feeling on the offensive line based on what you felt like six weeks in? Yeah. I mean, you know, we kind of chatted about this in the pre-show prep to me, it's about your age more than anything. You know, you are young, you're a sophomore and you're out there mid season. You're probably feeling just fine. 
Um, and it also depends on the style of ball that you play. Gundy tends to whip it around the field a little bit. I think as confidence rises, they'll run the ball more. And I think there's a balance to it. And it's not necessarily, you know, he's not out there countering and pulling and trapping a bunch of guys either. You know what I mean? So a lot of zone blocking and, and, uh, you know, quick hitters. And so I, I would, I would feel like watching Oklahoma State play that the offensive line probably feels pretty good. Uh, at this point, but those guys have had some, you know, lingering issues and who knows what you came into the season with. I mean, it's kind of a hard question to really dial, dial in because it's all about the individual. But I would tell you, you know, as a, as a young man, you know, as a redshirt freshman, sophomore, I felt great. I mean, to the end of the season, especially when it started getting cold. I mean, I could play six quarters when it was cold. Um, but as a senior, you know, you get mid season, all of a sudden those cold tanks are calling your name a little bit longer at the end of games and you're spending more time in the training room and after practice and everything else. I mean, it's all about the miles you put in your body for sure. Okay. We'll jump into some mid season awards, a, a little bit of quick hitters here, but it's, it's interesting to, to, to dive in. Here's the format. We have two nominees for each of the five awards and hopefully the three of us can come to some court, some sort of uh, opinion. And if not, we'll just go two and two on one right here. But, Ben, we'll switch off introducing awards. How about you take the first one? Yeah, we're going to start off with the play of the year uh, for the Oklahoma State Cowboys. And, guys, uh, our first nominee is Cameron Ipps. His pick six against Kansas State at the end of that first half um, really changed the game uh, for the Cowboys. And, you know, might be a turning point of the season. Looking back, uh, if things continue to shape up well for Oklahoma State, um, so we got Cameron Epps pick, and we also have the Brennan Presley flea flicker for a 20-yard touchdown um, against Kansas when, when Presley lined up as a running back and took the handoff, pitched it back to Bowman. Um, guys, wh- wh- what do we think? Play of the year. Man, I will go with the Epps pick six. You know, I, I think I got a bit of a taste in my mouth for Oklahoma State's defensive success. Uh, from that Fiesta Bowl year just a couple of years ago, you know, and, and I think it really, you know, as far as Oklahoma State's fan base embraced being a defensive football team, unlike any team in the country. Like you're talking about a school that, that led, you know, set records offensively and the Mike Gundy offense this and the Mike Gundy offense that and it's Fedora and it's, you know, that's all these great offensive coordinators over the years and it's offense, offense, offense. But how quickly did you see our fan base turn into just to some raving lunatics over <laughs> the defense? You know, like they just really get into it. And so I think, you know, watching these kids play now and, uh, you know, Epps has been great and everybody likes Colin Oliver and, um, oh, what's the other, Nick? Um, Nick Martin. Yeah, Nick Martin. What a b- badass he is. Like, I love yeah. watching him play. Like, they're, what's making – I'm upset for the Oklahoma State defense because I don't feel like they're being prepared in the way that they should. But I think there's some dudes on that side of the ball that play with great effort and attitude, and I think Epps is one of them. So I'll go there. Ben, I'm, I'm with Sam. The Sams are together on this one. That Epps pick six, <laughs> that was kind of my first thought in the press box coming off uh, watching Oklahoma State slide. That was my first thought. Wait, Cowboys could win this game if they can beat Kansas State, if they can get this defense rolling. Who knows what happens? So that, you're right, Ben. You use the word turning point. That could be one looking back in January. Yeah. Well, then I think we'll we'll, we'll make it a, an even sweep. I'm also going to go with Epps' uh, turnover just because of the the big implications for it you just mentioned. Um, but I'll I'll go sleeper, uh, Ollie Gordon with his one handed snag the other day. That was pretty sick. Okay. Yeah. There may be some snubs, but I appreciate you pointing them out. And 
that's just more for people to get mad about. So make sure to comment if you do, because that helps the show uh, if we did have any snubs. Newcomer of the year, guys. I'll, I'll lay this one out for you. The first one, a little obvious, Alan Bowman. Once he became the full-time starter at ISU, the Cowboys, are they've gone two and one. You know, they needed a quarterback, and Bowman has filled the role. Um, he's coming off his best game against the Jayhawks, but overall, uh, just over 1,000 yards passing, four touchdowns, and three interceptions. So filling in admirably, for the most part, at a key position. Versus newcomer of the year nominee number two, Brian Nardo. Um, I threw him up there because, hey, he had just as many adjustments as anyone else, maybe more. Um, for So the Cowboys' new defensive coordinator, he's come in, changed the scheme to a 3-3-5 scheme. Um, he brought that in from Gannon University. So like Bowman, Nardo's had some criticism. He's had some success too. But where do you guys come out on that one? Who's the more important newcomer of the year? Where is Gannon University? It is in Pennsylvania. And I, that is in my Google search history too because I was questioning that. I'll go with Bowman. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I'm going to go with with uh, with Bowman as well, Sam. And, and I think it's just because Brian Nodos had a lot of great adjustments that we talk about, but uh, there's been some things that he's obviously adjusting from. And there's been too many blown coverages, I think, in that secondary so far. You know, admittedly, uh, Lyric Rawls being out hurt. Um, but still, I, I think uh, Brian Nodos had had too many knocks uh, on his season so far to win that award over Alan Bowman, who has changed uh, the season for the Cowboys. I was actually wondering if Brian Nardo was in the stadium about seven minutes into that Kansas game. Hmm. I bet he like, was. Is he, are you here? Are you here, coach? Yeah. Are you here in the stadium? Because I'm just watching guys just run amok down the field. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and this award, th- this should have been uh, the Design Stribling Award. But, uh, I mean, I mean, and just in terms of if we're going to give it out in the midseason, heck, Destron's dribbling has probably been the most impactful transfer so far, but uh, his, his impact is done w- with his injury. So, so I'm surprised that you guys didn't put Martin on this. Yeah, so he, he was a uh, – Nick Martin was a red shirt last year. So mm-hmm. he'll come up, Sam. I promise you he will come up. But okay. um, I thought that Did would he be play quite last year? to him. He, he played four games last year. Um, okay. Or j- just enough to to keep the red shirt on him. I see. Yeah. I see. Yeah. But he is very new in terms of man. Who is that guy? To wow, he's big. But he'll come up later. So two for two. Give him the uh, make believe trophies. Ben, what's our third category? We're gonna go with defensive player of the year uh, for the Cowboys. I think we have another obvious uh, candidate here. Of course, linebacker Colin Oliver. Um, he's second on the team with with seven and a half tackles for loss. Also second with three and a half sacks. Um, and gosh, we really saw him come out in full force uh, toward the end of that Kansas game. So we got Colin Oliver on one end. And uh, he's going up against Cameron Epps, someone we already mentioned, who took home our play of the year. Um, Cam Epps, only a redshirt freshman. Uh, he also played in four games, but he uh, he leads the Cowboys with, with two interceptions and uh, is also up there in pass breakups. I'll go with Oliver here. I think he's the heart and soul of that defense for sure. I think the the one thing that I wish would have happened a little sooner for him was the move to linebacker, right? We all knew body-wise he was never going to play on the defensive line at the next level and uh, that he was eventually going to have to learn how to play in space. I would have liked to see this move done a year ago uh, to really kind of give him a chance to get it underneath him a little bit, right? And I think as we go through the season, we're going to see him in a more – dynamic way as he gets more comfortable doing the role playing the role that he's playing now but 
And I and that's saying a lot. He's already had a good season. So yeah, I think it's just going to get better from here on out for him. How do you think the three three five defense the Cowboys are in now has benefited a more agile stand up linebacker like Colin Oliver? Well, yeah, I think all those linebackers probably love it until they get a garter in their face. You know, like it's it is. If you have the right defensive lineman, that is a linebacker's dream. They just don't have the right defensive lineman. So I think that Oliver, athletic and elusive enough, same thing with uh, with Martin. Like those guys are physical and have a ton of ability athletically. So they're making do, you know, with a defensive front that's really truly not doing the job that you would like to see them do in order for those kids to have all the success that they could have. Uh, so, yeah, I, I – I'll just be honest with you. Three-man fronts back in the day, me and my brothers used to just laugh at it. <laughs> yeah. like, you're going to run a three-man front. But we were also a true I-formation team, and we were going to line up with a fullback, and that means you're going to give one a guardage. So I'm uncovered now. So we ran a zone offense. So you're telling me in a simple, like, just go, we'll walk through a play, a simple ISO, right, against a three-man front. I'm on the right side of the offensive line. We're going to call dive right. So I'm going to take a giant bucket step with my right leg. I'm going to open my hip all the way up to that defensive end. If that defensive end shoots that gap, well, now he's my assignment, then I'm going to block him. And then the tackle will get up to that front side linebacker. Most of the time, that's not going to happen. So the tackle is going to stay wide. The defensive end is going to stay wide. I'm going to take that big sweeping step. I'm going to get my right hand up and just make sure that that end stays leveled up with that tackle. Give my guy the best chance to block him, right? I'm going to remove my hand, and I'm going to go free as a bird up to this linebacker who is half my size, and I'm going to take some big, wide power steps, and he can't be right. Whatever side he chooses to go to, I'm going to make sure my shoulders are squared to the line of scrimmage, make him pick which way he wants to die, and he's going to go, and I'm going to finish him. And my back is going to watch my numbers to see which way they turn, to the left or to the right, and he's going to stay with where my numbers are. So if my numbers tell him to go left, he's going to go left. And if they tell him to go right, he's going to go right. And guess what? Now it's him one-on-one with a safety. Mm-hmm. Like the three-man front, unless you have just a real mf in the middle, right, somebody who is going to come off the ball, see that I've taken that right step, right? So now you've got a nose guard that's great, All right, Let's play this again with a nose guard that's excellent. I take my right step. That nose guard takes that step, puts a hand up on the center, and grabs my hip, grabs my arm, grabs my pads, whatever he can do to prevent me from getting off the line of scrimmage freely to get up to that linebacker. Now the linebacker has seen it, what the nose guard is doing, seen where I've been delayed, and then he's going to shoot that gap wherever I am not, right? And he's now he's free and clear, and he's two and a half yards from the line of scrimmage, and the running back can't be right at that point because the nose guard is taking up two guys, and a linebacker sitting in the hole because I'm not covering him up. Those nose guards, you know how many of those guys exist in college football every year to today? Ten. Yeah. Maybe ten. And they're in the South, and they're at Notre Dame, and they're at Oregon. Washington sometimes gets them with some of those big Polynesian kids. They'll find some of them. Those kids are rare today. Oklahoma State does not have the personnel to run this three-man front is what the problem is. Fun for the linebackers when they can be elusive and be great athletes. But the majority of the time, against good running teams, they are not going to have success running that. How Surely there wouldn't have been more than a handful of schools that would have even run a three-man front 
back in the Big 12 when you played, Sam, is crazy how yeah, so like teams Texas, changed Texas to where Gundy wanted to bring in someone from Gannon just to find someone who would run it. He was willing to make a drastic change to it. Like you said, uh, surely it would have been kind of crazy to run the three-man front in the Big 12 when you played. Yeah, it just depends on who, who you're recruiting. You know, when OU had Dvorak in the middle, he was a monster. You know, same thing with Texas. They always had the personnel to do it. Nebraska had a, a kid, and last name was uh, Kabanga, I'm pretty sure. And Nebraska ran a majority, I feel like, four-man front. But every once in a while, they would put that big six, seven, four 400-pound dude in the middle, and he was a pain in the ass, you know, there. Like, it was a lot to deal with him. So there were there were more – I feel like back then, though, there were more traditional nose guards floating around. You know, you're not seeing those guys anymore because high school football has changed so much. So we had some teams that that would run them for sure. I think back uh, the Huskies, Washington, they had Vita Vea, right, Ben, who now right. is an NFL guy. But if you don't have an NFL guy, you know, I imagine with an NFL guy there, I'm sure it works out great. But w- without it, there can be some problems, which we've seen a little yeah. bit of both um, from the defense for the Cowboys. Okay, two more awards. Um, this one is a, a little bit of a wild card here. And then we have team MVP. But this one, kind of in the theme of the Oscars, best player in a supporting role. So I'll run these two by you guys and let me know who you think. The first nominee, kicker Alex Hale. Uh, Just a little refresh on the stats. You know, redshirt senior, 15 for 18 on the year. And guys, the Cowboys don't beat K-State without him. He went five for six, had had a big game there. And, um, you know, perhaps his best kick of the year so far has been the clutch kick after he missed one to go up late against Kansas. So, Hale's been good. He's actually leading the nation in field goals made per game. Um, so sometimes, you know, that's a cause for frustration when your kicker's doing that. But in his role, he's been good. But is it enough to beat out Gunnar Gundy, who in his supporting role, I threw him out just because of that Central Arkansas game. You know, OSU season could be a lot better if you replay those games. But if you have to replay that fourth quarter again, maybe the Cowboys lose to Central Arkansas and it's a lot worse. So. Gundy came in, led two clutch drives on only 18 snaps, but he, he got two touchdowns out of it. Guys, where do you come out? Best supporting player, clutch player in a, in a little role, Alex Hale or Gunnar Gundy? Uh, I'll go with Alex Hale. Uh, there's nothing like having a valuable specialist on your side of the ball. I played with uh, Luke Phillips back at Oklahoma State in the early 2000s, who was an incredible football player, better man. And um, he really added something to the way that the weaponry that we had, like we knew that we were going to be good from a ways out there with Luke doing what he was doing. So yeah, a ton of value there having a, an excellent kicker. So I'll go with, I'll go with Mr. Hale. I think I will as well. And just for, for all the things you laid out, Sam, I mean, it's a, uh, it's a good thing for Alex Hill um, that he really hasn't been talked out, talked about a whole lot this season. The, the kickers, uh, if you're talking about a kicker, usually not for a good, Never thing. A good thing, but uh but that's why we're talking about him for our supporting uh, supporting actors, su- supporting player role here. So so Alex Hale is, is getting his uh, his love on the show. Okay, we'll make it unanimous. And Ben, last category, biggest one. Maybe here's where we fight for our different guys a little bit if we have different opinions, but run it down. Yeah, MVP, the, the, the big award um, that they wait until the end of the Oscars to unveil. And uh, our, our two uh, contestants for this award are, of course, running back Ollie Gordon. He's been a beast. I don't even need to get into the stats. He's simply been a beast. Uh, he won the, the National Running Back Award, uh, Doak Walker, this last week for, for his 284 uh, total yard performance, I think it was. 
against Kansas State. And Sam, you've been waiting for this one, man. Nick Martin, uh, our other candidate for for team MVP, gosh, just kind of came out of nowhere um, after injuries to to Justin Wright. Uh, Nick Martin needed to step up, and he has. Um, and and he has uh, four sacks and, and eight uh, tackles for loss. Um, so so Nick Martin is our is our other candidate for MVP. Yeah, to me, this is a no-brainer, as good as Ollie Gordon is, and I think that kid could start at 90% of the schools in college football today. He's an excellent running back, right out of the backfield, catching the ball. I mean, you saw his skill set this last week against Kansas, no question. Uh, Nick Martin, to me, what this any success at Oklahoma State's defense is having is based off of just great energy and effort by the players that are doing it, right, that are out there competing. I think they are very confused at times. I think Nardo is confused at times, and they're having a hard time academically in Stillwater right now. Maybe with reps, some of those things will be fixed as the season goes along, and maybe they won't. Uh, maybe the stage just too big from the D2 coach from Gannon. But those kids play with tremendous effort, and I think the emotional leader of that football team is Nick Martin. And when that boy gets to the ball, he is bringing his body with him. There is no doubt about it. He is a force to be reckoned with. He's a physical player. Reminds me of somebody from back in the 90s watching, you know, Greg Lloyd and Javon Kirkland and some of those awesome Steelers linebackers back in the day, just physically intimidating and going to bring the wood every time he makes contact, whether it's a running back, receiver, or an offensive lineman. Now, that kid's the real deal, and I'm excited to watch him play this season. Sam, I'll tell you, in this decision right here, it's kind of odd to say Ollie Gordon's maybe not even the most fun player to watch of these two. You know, I'll find, I just love taking my binoculars from the press box and finding Nick Martin pre-snap. And I love watching him because he's usually going to be the one delivering a big hit. So my MVP for this team, I can't argue with the, the, the case you just laid out, Sam. The way that Nick Martin came out of nowhere to fill a role a lot of people, me, and, me included, thought Justin Wright, the transfer from Tulsa, would. When he got hurt, the Cowboys have not taken a step back. It, it's been big to have what Martin's done. We knew what Ollie Gordon was, but Nick Martin has been a revelation for Oklahoma State. All right, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break away from the pack. I'll, I'll take Ollie Gordon. Um, gosh, he, he has just been uh, phenomenal for the Cowboys. And I, I think the 284-yard the performance showcased just how versatile he is. He's a three down back, which I think is so important um, for the Cowboys with, you know, you feel great about him uh, pounding it, you know, down the middle on, on third and one. You feel great about him in pass pro on third and long. And uh, you feel great about uh, just every time Ollie Gordon can, can get on the field. So I think that's my team MVP. Well, that'll wrap it up here for two on OSU. It was our longest episode yet, but we thought fitting to bring Sam on to talk offensive line because it's been such a key piece for the Cowboys turnaround, and it will be if Oklahoma State's to finish strong. So, um, you know, thank you guys so much for joining us. And hey, if you're listening at home, if you enjoyed the show, everyone says that at the end of podcasts, but we really do appreciate a like, a review, a retweet, whatever you have. Um, it all helps the show and to, to continue producing Oklahoma State content through football season and beyond. So thanks for tuning ne in, and be sure to check out Sam's show and the, the others across sell the Sellout Crowd Network. I will I will say this. Next time we do this together, I'm sending you both bottles of whiskey. Like, <laughs> come on. We're Oklahoma State guys. Stillwater's no, they, a drinking town. Oklahoma State just unveiled the new whiskey. There you go. I You guys need to get some of it. I'd be happy to send you bottles, and we're all going to have a toast at the end of the podcast. Cheers, guys. Thanks for having me.